In today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. Our fight has to come from a certain creed. I think that it's time right now for activists to take a step back and learn more about how to fight. We are really involved in spiritual warfare, and I don't say that very lightly. And welcome to another episode of the Iman Wire podcast. I'm Mohammed Salim from Iman Wire. Uh, today, joined by two special guests, uh, Imam Dawood Walid, who is the executive director of the Michigan chapter on the Council of American Islamic Relations. And we also have um, our dear brother, uh, Tarek Toure, who is a, a poet, an activist, um, a journalist, and author. Uh, recently released a book on poetry called The Black Seeds. Um, very, very active um, in, in his community in uh, Baltimore as well as nationwide. Uh, and we're coming together to talk about a topic that has has been discussed uh, of late uh, quite, quite uh, vividly, I, I would say probably in the last year or so, about the issues of the relations between activists and scholars, pretty much. I mean, I think I think we can attest here that there's been not only a generational issue between younger and older populations of Muslims, but also this idea of this gap between activists and scholars um, to the point where people have been talking about, like, we need to just have, like, this scholar-activist, like, huddle and you know, really need to sort of uh, t- to move our community forward. So I, l- I guess let's begin with there, there and I'll first start with uh, you, um, Imam Dawood, about your initial thoughts about this this um, perceived divide between scholars and activists in our community. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathiran da'iman abada thumma ma ba'd. This is, has been a, uh, a hot discussion in our community as of late in terms of the uh, divide, uh, some of it uh, real and some of it perhaps maybe more perceived in terms of uh, a scholarly class and activist class. And uh, I believe that the divide and perhaps the misperceptions on both sides is really uh, a disconnect from the fullness of the Islamic tradition. Uh, from my take and from my understanding of the, uh, of, of the, uh, the prophets of Allah, as well as the, the khulafa and the righteous scholars in the early history of Islam, that there was a type of dynamism where uh, the prophets themselves, السلام, were uh, teachers and they also were those who accentuate the good that was in their society as well as sought to reform. And I, and I see every single prophet of Allah as being counterculture in the sense that they saw things that were going on in their societies, they saw injustices, and they sought to... Uh, interrupt injustices and to empower the poor. This is why the, the du'afa or the weak in society were the ones that clung closest to the prophets, be it uh, Nuh salam, to the final prophet, uh, Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. So within this regard, we have the issue of uh, many scholars who have studied uh, traditional Islamic sciences uh, Predominantly, a lot of them uh, who are immigrants here to the United States of America, but even some who are native-born 
and studied uh, in the science of, of usul al-din, usul al-fiqh, uh, the nahwan and sarf and balaga relating to the Arabic language, and but then have little social commentary of the Quran and Sunnah and its place in the society, which then has a lot of apolitical uh, khutab and apolitical muhadrat. Then on the flip side, we have uh, a class of activists, and I will say that a lot of it's generational in terms of how the elder generation maybe didn't understand the, the political scene of America, but perhaps were more rooted in some basic Islamic knowledge or what is dururi, uh, uh, the necessities of the religion. And Generation X, and even more so amongst millennials, there is a disconnect where people are passionate about issues, yet the usul, or the foundations of the starting grounds, both as far as creed, as well as the 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 adab or the manners that are based in spirituality and how to actually go about actions, there is a uh, a, a disconnect. So, uh, with there are very few individuals uh, who I see uh, in both uh, sectors, both the the mashaykh, uh, who are uh, also promoting activism in a proper way in a way that's compliant with the, with the Qur'an and the agreed-upon sunnah, at the same time activists who are uh, not only engaging in issues based upon a Qur'anic paradigm, but are organizing and, and promoting an adab that is reflective of prophetic character. So there's really a, a crisis on, on, on both ends of the spectrum, from my view. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil I think... Um it's, it's good to, to piggyback off uh, what Imam Dawood said. Um, even as I'm like literally sitting here, I'm I'm watching Imam Dawood and he's he's very calmly explaining, and I'm swaying back and forth in my chair. So I think you know you youth and the folks that are want to get in activism that are in that context, um, they're they're at a point we're at a point where we're very rambunctious, very anxious about diving into the work. Um, what I've come to know. You know, alhamdulillah, within the last two years, is that just because you're experiencing, remember that we talked about place, just because you're experiencing a context, you're living a context, doesn't make you a master of it. Um, and I think that you only become a master of it by having leadership, credible leadership, you know, within the Quran and Sunnah. Um, it took me to, to actually sit back and look at what was happening um, and how our relationships with scholars and people who are of knowledge and how we may have sometimes cast them away in, 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 a, in a reach to go out into the streets um, and organize and, and fight now, you know, right now. And also um, with them not being able to truly, truly step down from their helm and see what's going on at a ground level. The issue is, I think, more broadly, um, he alluded to it, a crisis of aqidah, because in our fight, you know, we're going from this, we're going from to seven different issues, an eighth issue on Monday, and by the time it's Thursday, we're, we fought 30 different battles, um, not realizing that our, our, um, our fight has to come from a certain creed. I think that it's time right now for activists to take a step back 
and learn more about how to fight. It's not the fact that, you know, we're strong enough, wise enough, anything like that. But if we're not fighting from a context that's based in uh, the, the right aqidah, we're going to be in trouble. So you may have a lot of people who may have thought, you know, that I would say something different than that. But what I'm finding out, I'm turning 30 next year, is that um, our activism will be for naught. <laughs> it would be for naught. Uh, all us being in the streets and protesting and all of that, if it doesn't come back to us organ organizing around Islam. Um, and no matter how much, you know, we try to buck the system and say, you know, the sheikhs or the scholars and imams, they don't understand what's going on. They're further down the road than we are as far as sight and perception of these issues. Um, and they understand that um, if we're not if we're not moving in such a way that's based in Islam, we're going to be in trouble. This is for Muslim activists. I'm, you know, everybody else, I really can't speak for them. Um, but in speaking with other people who are in the social justice realm, you, you constantly come back around to certain issues. You know, we may not we may not be able to support um, certain certain campaigns that, you know, is gray area. Um, if we're not going back to our leadership and a credible scholarship and basing it off that, we're, we're, we're in dire trouble. Um, so I see that's what a crisis is, is that we, because we're living it, we're feeling it every day, we're seeing it across our timelines, we think that we have extreme uh, knowledge of context and it's, it's devoid without uh, correct aqidah. A lot of that, um, Tariq, is probably rooted in just that for a lot of Muslims in general, they don't have that connection, personal connection with scholarship. Uh, so if you are, um, you know, a young Muslim growing, uh, growing up here, or you're in your 20s and you see all this injustice going on and you want to respond and you have a concept of what Islam is and you have a concept that Islam, as you mentioned in the beginning, uh, Imam Dawood beautifully about how the prophets were counterculture you know they were they were going uh, off the basis of their belief for the deen and they were speaking out against um, you know the, the cultures that were against against god uh, but like you know we as so as a young as a young person if you don't have that connection to scholarship and then you're you're going about your 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 noble work as uh, in in the community and then you see these scholars who you don't have a relationship with and they're um on their platforms is saying that like well you know you're not doing this right or this is wrong or this is not um you're not following the principles so is it really the root of the problem is actually there's just not that personal connection with um, our scholarship, and you know, and where does the what is the fall of the scholars scholars in that, in not making the efforts to connect with young activists? Well, there's a lot of blame that uh, can go around. Uh, firstly, that uh, many Muslims in the United States of America, their Muslimness is based upon a cultural identity, firstly, or a social politically identity, first and not something that was based in the necessities or the basic rudimentary knowledge of, of the deen, of the religion. And this starts really not from the, the sheikh. This actually starts from the household and the lack of the uh, Islamic upbringing, proper tarbiyah from households, uh, from, from many Muslims. Uh, Allah Azza wa Jal says in, in the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhaladina amanuku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. All those who believe save yourselves and your families from the fire. In Ali ibn Abi Talib, he said, He says that uh, how you save yourselves and your family from the fire is that you teach them 
you, you, you teach them the knowledge of this dean and you instill in them discipline, which is also proper manners, proper etiquette. So a lot of this started from a lack of this being done in the household and Muslim was just a checklist of certain, uh, you know, national attachment and attachment to food and certain outward things, which I call libasal Islam, but not ruhul Islam. Then likewise, uh, there is the inaccessibility of scholars, but more so go back to the first thing I said, a lot of scholars who don't have uh, cultural context. And so therefore, uh, they many scholars have, in the name of being apolitical, have not talked about a number of sociopolitical issues, and maybe their minds have been more back home and overseas. So they talk about sociopolitical issues in the Muslim world abroad, but not issues that are affecting people here, like Flint water crisis, like the uh, Standing Rock and systemic oppression of Native Americans. Some of that is a lack of knowledge, and then, frankly, uh, one foot or maybe a, a couple of toes here in America, and then another, and the heel's not here, and another foot uh, back home. And I think that. This is something that the Jewish American community went through, and we can do a study of history. And really, until we have, until we become more serious in actually offering aid and encouraging young women and men to study Dean and become scholarly, where the majority of our imams and Islamic teachers are born and raised here, that they have uh, Islamic knowledge as well as some literacy and cultural context, we're going to continue to have this problem. Then. The few scholars that do, they're so, or, or, or Mashaikh, they're so busy and they are being pulled in every direction and they're being brought around the country just to speak at this seminar, to speak on this college campus. And then what happens is the people get a, a charge. They get a, a, a shot of feeling good. They feel energized, but then because that sheikh is so busy and plus he's not in their city, there's not the proper murshid murid relationship where an individual is able to sit one-on-one -on -one with their murshid or their ustadha. And it's that relationship and that uh, not just transference of knowledge, but the hal or the spiritual state of the person can have an influence on the other person. And I say this, that as a, as a man who studied and has, uh, you know, studied many subjects with, with trained scholars that, you know, I still have one, I'm just blessed that in my locality, I have one-on-one -on -one time with a sheikh who's from uh, West Africa that I have a 45 minute hour one-on-one -on -one time that I can sit with uh, with with my sheikh, and I know I'm I'm spoiled in that way, right? But many people who are in the uh, activist world, uh, they don't have that accessibility. So that is a type of challenge that we have in our community, and it's not um, easily fixed. But I would say that every activist needs to find in their locality, if possible, uh, a teacher, and to sit in some sort of circles of learning, even if they can't get the one-on-one -on -one time, that activists have to take the time because this is a prerequisite for being an activist. Uh, when Allah Azawajal talks about in the Quran, uh, you are the best nation brought out for people because you enjoin mahruf for what is good and just, and you forbid the munkar, what is unwholesome and unjust. 
and you believe in the oneness of God, a prerequisite for enjoining the good and for being the evil is that you have knowledge of what is good, right? Right, right. <laughs> so mahruf, you have to have mahrifa in order to enjoin mahruf. Mm -hmm. So for any activist, as the Prophet said, Talib al-Um Faridatu Alikuli Muslim and Muslimat, it is a religious obligation upon every Muslim male and female to seek sacred knowledge, right? So uh, this is something that is uh, missing, but uh, there's some blame that can be placed all, all the way around. But the reality is, how do we how do we fix it? And this is not a race of the hare. It's a race of the tortoise, and we have some we have some deep systemic issues in our in our community that need to be fixed. They're not going to be fixed overnight, but until we invest monetarily in encouraging Muslims born and raised in America to seek Islamic scholarship and to be uh, um, to have to learn the proper necessities of, of the religion, much less become a scholar, uh, we're going to continue to deal with this problem, this issue, and just having. 20 shiuk around the country and and a few knowledgeable Muslim sisters like Ustad Zainab Elwani, Ustad Zainab Ansari, Ustad Muslim uh, Dr. Jamila Kareem to have like maybe 40 people to service 7 million mm -hmm. American Muslims, that's not going to cut it. Yeah, yeah. Um, before I let you let you talk about that, Tarek, uh, I, I think it's uh, it's it's interesting because both both of you, you target in your initial remarks how you talked about how it's a matter of beginning with the aqidah, and how you just Imam Dawood spoke about we have to know what ma'roof is. Um, you know, we, we when you speak about when people look about Islam and how it how it exists in America, there's been a discussion about as you were talking about earlier about some some scholars that have like few toes in America and some uh, and most of it's outside. So this this need that we need to uh, have this uh, American expression of Islam that's based on our, our context, not that we're changing anything in the religion, but just that it, it, it it's is relevant to the issues that, that face us. But I, I want to flip it around and 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 going going back to uh, say, for example, for for a lot of our brothers and sisters who are doing, you know, the activist work, um, do we not challenge some of these American truths, the ideas of liberalism, ideas of that have influenced us from from very young age, growing up in our, our school system? It's influenced the way we look at the world, and so when we are engaged in uh, protest activism, um, there's 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 definitely a leftist ideology that that's embedded in a lot of that so do we have to as activists we do we have we have to do we have to look at that and, and see like well you know we've actually may have maybe maybe we're, we're acting in certain ways because we've been influenced by these these ideologies and just going back to your point target about we have to sort of recognize like, who we are at, in terms of our aqidah well i think i mean number one it's it's not forgetting that we we have a gps system for our, our activism, we should be able to navigate, you know, with the help of um, Ashiyuk. I think that a lot of people fall into, well, you know, I, I'm doing my own thing. Um, what I'm doing is work and I have proof of, you know, my organizing efforts around social justice. And it doesn't matter whether or not it's, it's within an Islamic compass. You, ended up, you end up finding that you fall into things that you shouldn't be doing. Um, you fall into areas that are extremely gray and that you don't really don't have a roadmap for. Um, I think in reaching back back out to scholars, I really want to, you know, like you said, investing monetarily into 
uh, youth. And that's something that, I mean, I grew up in a community in Baltimore. You might have one, one kid out of an entire city that will go study somewhere. Um, as opposed to, you know, having several, having, you know, umpteen. Um, and I think that in itself is a crisis because here you have people who only have a ground level view of what's going on. Um, and when they do meet somebody with scholarship and they, when they do hear them using terms, um, when they do hear them referring back to text, it's like foreign. And, you know, sometimes ignorance can make people buck back against it. So that's where that tension comes from, because you almost start to feel small in a conversation. You know, when somebody says, well, look, this is wrong without maybe explaining it first, you'll have, you know, activists say, well, you know, that you don't understand. You know, get, get on my face. You, y'all don't, y'all don't get it. You don't even know what's going on here in America. Um, but I think if we started invested in it, that wouldn't be the case so much. Um, I think, you know, in regards to kids not seeing it in their homes, that's something we, you know, that's like parent down. I work with kids on the regular during the week and, um, we have to invest in, you know, the time that parents have to actually study if we're going to give that to children in this age. So uh, I know, you know, we don't like to turn the masjid into like this is like a 30 and over club for men. Um, but we have to realize, you know, how much how much time are parents dedicating to studying and what does that actually look like in the home? Is it just going through the motions and are they providing context? Growing up in the city, my father constantly had to provide context for the things he was teaching me because it's like literally right beyond your door. But what you see is in suburban communities, they don't really have to, to the, the, the dhulm is not as palpable as when you're in this. And when you walk outside, somebody is getting high right outside the door. So it's like, hey, we're practicing this, so you don't do that. Um, as opposed to other places, you know, the kids in the suburbs, they'll say, well, look, Johnny and you guys, you can go down the basement and drink because I don't want you to have to drink and drive or something of that nature. Um, so I think, it, and I'm a parent to have a two-year-old, so it's like, I'm still understanding exactly how am I going to teach these things to my children outside of them just watching, you know, watching me uh, perform acts. Um, but it also goes back to our madrasas and not just having Sunday school and Saturday school, because I think that's a model that has shown that it really um, is weak. But also being able to have strong, strong uh, madrasas in different locations in Baltimore, it's maybe two or three, when you really need about 10 to 15, almost as much as they have as public schools. So if we don't have those resources, then we're gonna continue like in a cyclical fashion to have crisis of lack of knowledge. Um, and again, like I said, these same kids who grow up devoid of this education, they're gonna see things wrong in their environment and they're gonna go out into the streets and try to fix it. And again, then they're fixing it um, with some beaten up and rusty tools because it's not tools of Islam. So if that makes sense. Thank you for your, your comments. And you had me thinking about a few things, Brother Tarek. But this goes back to the the environment and people being products of their environments and the, the insidious nature of liberalism and all of what comes with it. Um, when we talk about the uh, moral relativism that is crept up into our community where people think that everything is open to interpretation. You know, I have someone that I respect a lot uh, recently when I brought up the issue of how uh, there's certain incontrovertible uh, 
things in Akita, in Creed. And she's like, uh, you know, that's up to uh, interpretation. That's your interpretation. I'm thinking, no, there are certain things that all uh, schools of, of Aqa'id have always agreed upon, which are the essence of Islam. You can't say that God uh, took on the person of a human being and walked around America or India. You can't say that there is a messenger that came, a human messenger that came after Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and, and, and be with inside proper uh, aqidah. But a lot of this is influenced uh, by uh, by Western liberalism and even people who think they're a counterculture and speaking out against white supremacy have been uh, affected by this. Uh, just like the idea that there's that Western liberalism, uh, even though white supremacy is alive and well, any talk of social hierarchy is mentioned as being injustice or problematic. And the reality is, is that in traditional Islamic society, in our texts, our religion does recognize certain type of hierarchical structures, right? But it just can't be that someone in a particular social position is in that position and then oppresses other people. But the Prophet said, al-anbiya, that the 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 scholars are the heirs of the prophets, right? So it didn't say the activists are the heirs of the prophets. But right? but that's but that's you know that's 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 based on merit. It's not yeah, as it's based, based on, on rigid, uh, you know, because I think I think for for a lot of especially uh, for younger people yes. and just in general, young people everywhere. I mean, there's always this issue of like you know like you know Tarek, you know, I, I sort of laughed in, inside when you said you're going to turn 30, 30 soon because you know the saying is like don't yeah. trust anyone over thirty. Right, <laughs> so it's like you only got like one year. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, but it's like you know they have this. Uh, we we uh, we we push back against hierarchy in our culture yes. here in America, and so when when say if we see something that we, when we talk about like the scholars of the heirs of the prophets, if you're not grounded already in that that way of of being Thank and seeing you. the world, you will just think that this is just another uh, power structure that's in place to keep me down. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, and exactly. And they're trying to keep me down. They're trying exactly. to keep, keep us from improving ourselves. One, um, yeah, exactly. It'd be seen as a form of oppression, but Allah is what Jal says in the Quran himself that he gave different people darajat, different levels. So uh, a scholar who studied and who was exemplifying their scholarship should be given a level of deference. But this society, uh, you know, uh, is a society that pushes the profane and trying to slowly take the sacred, uh, uh, the importance of the sacred out of public relevance or the issue that, uh, uh, you know, uh, that somehow if, if a man leads the prayer or gives the khutbah, then somehow that is oppressive. So in order for Muslim women to be liberated, they have to start their own zawiya and then have a woman give the khutbah and lead the salah and call the adhan, even though there is zero basis in our scholarly tradition that women give khutbah to Juma, even if it's an all-female audience, right? So these are the trends where we don't see how much liberalism has affected us to the point that there are certain things that are part of the sul, the, the usul, our foundations of this religion, that we will begin to uh, question and even uh, dismiss in the name of liberalism and say, well, there's a there's an alternative. 
interpretation <laughs> to that. And, and then, you know, in the course in American society, because this society is nefsi, nefsi, me, me, then I, as an individual in Western liberalism, then, you know, I have the right to my own truth and you have the right to your truth and he has the right to, to their truth. And supposedly under moral relativism, all of these truths can be equally true. That's not the Islamic paradigm. And that in, in a lot of us, uh, we've really um, a lot of us. Our religion is middle class respectability and our ritual observance is Islam. Our religion is not Islam. Our ritual is middle class respectability of what is acceptable to liberal white middle class norms. Even with the Oscar award and the brother getting the uh, the award is like, oh, this white institution recognizes person. So we're all happy and say Muslims. So Oscar, even if the brother's playing the role of a drug dealer, then we think of Muslims. We've made it because this brother Let's put the Qadiani and Ahmadiyya Akita issue to the side. Because this institution celebrated us, then we need to celebrate. Or if Muslims are in Playboy or Vogue, then it, 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 it becomes a matter of pride for us. And I don't even think we're truly cognizant about what we're really trying to buy into. Um, so two things. One, um, we had the uh, the HBCU MSA conference, and um, Imam Shadi Muhammad was there, and I had to present basically background on um, why we had a conversation about you know being black in MSAs, and I think I was maybe thirty, maybe thirty minutes into my lecture, and he raised his hand. This is my first time. This is actually my first time meeting meeting him. So he raises his hand like middle of the lecture, so I stopped. And um, he begins to refute basically some of the, the the things that I was saying about, you know, some of the microaggressions and racism that goes on in that realm, right? So the audience is then looking like, okay, it's about to be a thing between, like, uh-huh. it's about to be like, oh, okay. So alhamdulillah, thank you, you know, thank you for your, for your input. I continue more, but most of the audience starts to go back and forth. And it puzzled me then because we're so into, oh, let me get back, back yeah, at, but this is Amen. You know, I'm Tariq here, so I'm I'm not I'm not gonna go go there. So I think, and we we have this uh, we have this notion that it's okay to just buck back at anybody uh, in any context in any realm instead of knowing that it's a time and place for everything. Um, and I think, you know, th- that and that I always think about that instance because I could have we could have we could have did it right in there. Yeah, I, yeah. Been like, I don't believe well, what yeah. you said. Um, and I think uh, definitely what you were saying about, you know, inst- saying the, the same issues that we say we're fighting or, or white supremacy, um, exceptionalism, assimilation will constantly make us morph, right? So we're saying first Muslim to win an Oscar. Well, whiteness is going to push something else across the yeah. table and be like, well, no, the bar is here now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to constantly get like kicked down the road until we've lost all continuity of what we're supposed to be. So I don't, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to to buy into that. And at first I was thinking, I ever caught myself like, yeah, that's awesome. And I was like, Hold on, that what we're we're on the on the spectrum of of our Islam and trying to get ourselves together in this crazy place called America. Does that fall in? 
and and what representation and what shattering, you know, how much of these ceilings being shattered is really harming us rather than, you know, helping us. Because um, since white supremacy has been an institution here, they've always put somebody up and say, hey, this is the ideal that you need to express. Well, we've all internalized that because Mm -hmm. even though we may intellectually be fighting against white supremacy, uh, we're so embedded with this idea that, well, when we do get props, (laughs) <laughs> from that, from this white supremacist framework, we're like, oh, okay, yeah. It's like so uh, when we like, you know, talking about the Oscars, like last year, remember the Oscars? Everyone was like, there was no Oscars was no, so white. Yeah, Oscars so white. This year was like, you know, a little. It was a little different, right? <laughs> you know, it, so it was this. You know, uh, and and people take pride in it. And I understand, like, you know, it's natural to take pride in you know achievements of people of our communities or sub-communities, but is, is that emotional element, what is really fueling that? Is it really fueling, is it really fueled by this uh, ingrained insecurity and, you know, sort of feeling of second class, even though we, we don't think we are, but we actually feel like we're second class already. And it just, we always want to feel that we're being elevated. So I don't know, it, it, it where, did, where does that play a role in, in how we, uh, in this whole, in, in this, and what we're talking about, in this whole active activist circle, and, and how we feel about ourselves, and how we want to be seen by people of our society, you know, because I think one of the, the big conflicts a lot of Muslims have is engaging uh, movements, engaging issues uh, that some some may be there may be some questionable moral, uh, you know, stances in them. But, you know, the argument they'll always come back to like, well, you know, we're, we're fighting for this with them. We're going to fight with this with this other group. Um, you know, where where are the where are the lines drawn? Can we can we be supportive of uh, of one issue um, with, a, with a with a number of other communities and groups? And then another issue we say, OK, we're not going to necessarily um, be with you on that one. Is that OK? I mean, um, and, and and Tarek, and you can speak. Up, how 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 would people perceive that in terms of us of of us being selective and how we engage um, all these you know these multiple issues going on? Yeah, I have a couple of things about that. Uh, first, uh, we are really involved in spiritual warfare, and I don't say that very lightly. And Shaitan has studied uh, human beings' leanings and weaknesses, and the Shiatin. Uh, or Hezbo Shaitan, they've also studied this as well. So Rasul Adam sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, la yashkru Allah min la yashkru nas, that he doesn't think people. Uh, he, you know, he, truly, he, doesn't, he truly doesn't appreciate Allah who doesn't show things to people, right? So it's, it's something in the nature of human beings that we like to be appreciated and shown thanks, right? But then uh, the question then becomes, what is it that the person is thanking you about? What is it that they're really appreciating you about? Are they appreciating you based upon something that is mahroof, that is tayyib, that's wholesome, that, that brings about true justice, which Allah is the lawgiver. And we don't love the law for the sake of law. We love the law for the sake of the lawgiver, right? So. Uh, this is how sometimes we get played by these institutions. We get an award or get recognized by this liberal organization. Maybe this book company wants to offer us a deal. And we don't even realize that we're getting played by a group of people that have a different agenda and a different worldview that at the end of the day uh, does not 
not only accept Islam, but actually is working counter to the Sharia of Muhammad uh, So this is one thing. The second thing is that the Quran is very clear about the parameters of what we should be working with people on and what we shouldn't. And so to Ma'ida in the eighth ayah, Allah Azza wa gives two commands uh, back to back. Ta'awnu uh, al-birri wa taqwa. You cooperate with each other. You couple. You cooperate with uh, with people based upon righteous matters and matters that go in line with God consciousness. And don't cooperate with each other. Don't cooperate with people based upon el ith, sinful matters. Those things are haram, or enmity. Those things that will bring about hatred and. Uh, unjustifiable warfare, bloodshed. So this is a criterion that we are given by Allah so we can work with people in a type of like a treaty of virtues based upon a select coalition on a select issue. However, if this means quid pro quo for a movement to then will help uplift or to defend something that is false under al-ism, or a sinful matter, something that's clearly haram, then we can't uh, be involved in supporting that uh, in the name of a so-called coalition because Allah as he speaks about the believing men and believing women as enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. Allah also says that a sign of a hypocrite is the one that enjoins al-munkar and forbids the ma'roof. And Rasulullah he asked and, and said some to companions that reaches to us today. He says, how will you be when you see the ma'roof as munkar and when you see the munkar as ma'roof? And this is how a lot of things have gotten twisted. And in the name of activism, some of us have gone and overstepped the boundaries and started to uh, use nomenclature that normalizes munkar, that enters in with groups and we even shout out people who take munkar as a social identity, right? That's not the way of our scholars that we should praise something or take something where someone is going off of their shahwa, off of their passions, their animalistic desires and turn that animalistic desire that's not being played out in the wrong way and making that into an identity. This is where the confusion goes. This is where the confusion comes. But this is some basic Islam 101 that's really missing when I say it gets back to uh, proper uh, tarbiyah. I think um, so. So like to get there, right, for me to even for any for people in that circle to even get there, they have to even first believe the first, you know, uh, tenet that Imam Dawood just said. Just about you know the alim al like you. <laughs> that has to be if you don't you know if you don't even believe in that the rest of the conversation is kind of void. And I think you know we said spiritual warfare. Yeah, absolutely, there's an absolute ambush because um, there's some circles if you even to say that right. Well, you know the shaitan, you will see a lot of people's eyes divert and be like. Mm. Well, that's that thing they used to talk about. I don't know if it's really real or anything like that. Um, but if you know, if you truly believe or even halfway believe in that, then you'll understand that um, Shaitan is like the ultimate co-opter. 
So whatever you're into, whatever your vibe is or whatever you think you're fighting for, um, he's not going to come opposite it. He's going to say, well, okay, you, you want to fight for social justice. So yeah, let me put this on your good. plate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you think you're, you're, you're in the good. Um, like I say, he's, you know, he's, he's somebody who's been studying uh, humanity for, for however long we've been here. And um, there, are so, there are many issues that are supremely muddied, um, so to say. And again, I think it's on it's on activists right now too. Like you said, it's not the it's it's not the the hare, it's the tortoise. Slow your roll, slow down, because shaitan is long game. <laughs> He's long game, and short game is going into what you said, uh, monkar, and and not recognizing for what it is. And the the, the realm of the scholar and the activist is being able to say, hey. Can I can I text you? Can I call you? Or am I in contact en- enough with these people who have knowledge to be like, am, am I moving into the wrong realm? To be able to question, you know, some of the things that you're doing. And I think because there is that disconnect, you wake up in the morning, you like such and such did what? Mm-hmm. Like they took up that banner. Who did they talk to? And more than likely, they were just sitting among, sitting in an echo chamber of other people who weren't willing to say something or stop them and tell them, look, we need to have a serious talk. So inshallah, it's like these the conversations need to continue. But I think at the same time, it's about having a personal relationship with somebody who has a credible knowledge in Islam so that you won't have to be looking like uh, a fool now or in the day of judgment. Right. And, I make a, and I make a call to fellow shiuk who are listening now, um, shayikh and teachers, that it's upon us that we try to cultivate uh, intentional sohbah or intentional gatherings where we reach out to activists and have uh, gatherings uh, where we can go to them and to begin uh, lines of communication and that there can be sitting and transfer of knowledge. And when I say knowledge, I don't mean just ilm. I, I spoke about this issue of, of hal, of spiritual state, and the transference of, uh, of spiritual uh, knowledge, even just to uh, have that sort of influence. And that is really what is, I believe, needed in this in this day of uh, day and time. And just as the the students should seek out the the teacher, as Musa alayhi salam. Look for Al Khidr as as a teacher, and that and that should show us that should show activists that all activists are all all people need a teacher because uh, uh, Rasul himself, one of the five greatest prophets, had to have a teacher, right? So uh, Nabi Muhammad had a teacher, and that was Jibril So we all need teachers, uh, but the in this current climate that we're in right now, that. Um, Teachers or uh, scholars, shiuk need to uh, engage uh, the, the the activist community uh, and, and be willing to listen and, and 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 learn some things as 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 well. But for the scholars to come and to have uh, a certain adab and level of uh, of compassion, a level of, of rifq, a level of tenderness with the activists, even when the adab may not be the traditional adab of how a student is supposed to interact with a with a uh, w- with a teacher because there's a lot of things out here in the leftist society where this uh, definitely as you mentioned influenced 
our uh, our interactions with people who uh, we perceive to be in position of authority in the so-called, you know, fight the power and shut it down and the call out <laughs> culture and all the other stuff that scholars have to understand that, you know, there can't be this immediate frustration of dealing with people who have been uh, influenced uh, negatively by the broader superculture. So I want, I want to... Uh in terms of practically speaking, uh, both from a scholar, a group of scholars, and a group of, of activists. Um, we talked earlier, uh, you alluded to how, um, you know, in terms of what 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 movements we are um, forming coalitions with, um, who we are working with, uh, what issues we are fighting for, from, an, from, from that realm of activism. What, as Muslims in that sphere, and um, and we should all be in that sphere, is working for social justice and and for for the uh, for for these values. Where do Muslims go in that sphere? Do we think that okay? Be, do I stay where I am in this movement, and do I feel as a grounded Muslim who's in contact with scholars and who has this these connections? Do I seek to positively influence these movements? Positively influence these organizations and 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 try to give uh, you know those advices to move in these certain directions, or do we completely redefine these movements, uh, redefined uh, through through uh, through our own you know organizations or through our own efforts? Do we do we reinvent the wheel? Actually, do we even do that? Because I think one of the issues I I, I know is that in the past is that. One of the problems, especially for for Muslims from from uh, suburban communities, from South Asian Arab Muslims, that w- if they want to get involved in these social activist movements, one of the things that that has been reinforced is that you need to follow the lead of the the leaders of that movement, um, and which is, which which makes complete sense, right? Because you're not you're not you're not in that movement, uh, you know, you haven't been living it, you you have to you're not versed in it, but. It, but where does that where does that fit in this and in that in that if these movements are you know have have some issues in them do we stay in the movement and try to positively influence from inside or are we just redefine it completely and then I'm the second part of that that question is from the scholarly group is um, as uh, you know as Allah Subhanahu reminds us the Quran there is there, there should when when the, the believers would go out to to go out to to face the enemy there was a group of people who were to stay be, stay behind yes. to learn the deen and that is that that is that that essential apparatus of the scholarship to be looking at and to advise the the believers who are engaged on the front lines uh, and to remind them of what they may be doing wrong or might they be doing right you need so you need that group that's sort of not exactly always in the front line but you also need a group of scholars and activists uh, who are scholar activists who are on the front line otherwise that connection is never going to happen between scholars and activists because they're not going to know the different, you know, the reality that, you know, the, 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 the activists are in. So, you know, your thoughts on that, both of you? Uh, just uh, very briefly that I believe what we're dealing with is an issue of a collective inferiority complex within the Muslim psyche. And as I referenced the ayah before, you are the best nation evolved 
or brought up from the people because you enjoin the good, you forbid the evil, and you believe in the oneness of God, which means that we as Muslims should see ourselves as leaders in every society that we're in, and we shouldn't be so quick just to run underneath the umbrella of other people and become followers of their movement. So this is kind of like a psychological thing. So as we should go to disaffected communities and listen to what they say their needs are and to empathize with particular communities is not to say that in all and every issue that we should follow that movement or that leadership within that one particular group to deal with those issues. Because for instance, in black America, and we don't to talk about just in general, uh, being a majority people who aren't Muslims, but the Muslims, there is no one black thought. There is no one black leadership, right? There is no one Latino leadership. So we can talk with people and see the needs, but at the end of the day, we need to develop our own nomenclature. We don't have to use everyone else's nomenclature that has also a worldview behind it, that has sometimes loaded implications. Right. We can use our own nomenclature and we can have our own methodology based upon uh, the Quran and some of the deal with issues in the society. And we can call people towards our framework of justice. That's what the Jewish American community did. That's what other communities did. Right. So we shouldn't be so quick to be uh, following. The other point that you made is, yes, there has to be teachers and imams that get on the front lines. And then there's also ones who are. Uh, devoted just for teaching uh, in a background area, maybe not be on the front lines. This is a tradition of of our deen, and we can see it. And you mentioned the Quran and what was told to the Sahaba, what was revealed to Nabi Muhammad I would also tell people that we can see this very clearly in the methodology of Ahlul Bayt al-Nubuwa, the family of the Prophet. Uh, when Imam Hussein went on his khuruj, uh, Hassan al-Mathanna, the, the, the great-grandson of the Prophet wasallam, he wasn't part of that khuruj. He stayed behind and transferred knowledge to his son Abdullah, who was a, one of the, one of the, the teachers of, of Imam Malik, right? Uh, when Zayd, Imam Zayd, the, 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 the son of Zainal Abidin, went on khuruj, Imam Jafar al-Saliq didn't go out on khuruj. He taught students. So even if we're looking at it from the standpoint of actually going head-to-head, toe-to-toe with the oppressor uh, and putting one's life on the line, uh, all of the imams of Ahlul Bayt didn't go out on khuruj. And Nessa Zakia did. Uh, but then other imams didn't. Uh, so th- this is something that we can learn from our tradition. And I think that the activists crowd should not be so quick to jump into down a scholar just because a scholar isn't on the front lines of the march or at the right. Like, I've heard some people say, if he's not on the ground, if he's not on the street, he can't tell me nothing. This is unprophetic. This is an unprophetic attitude. This is not jibe with the Quranic paradigm. It is not jibe with the methodology of Ahlul Bayt al-Nubuwa and the Tabi'een and Tabi Tabi'een. This is not, this is outside of our of, of, of our of our Islamic heritage. So I would say to those activists who have this attitude, they should. I mean, what I just said, they can just they can check the examples that I, get, that I just gave right there. Right. So it's it's in our tradition and to down those scholars for not being so-called uh, on the streets, 100 percent of them, that that is very uh, short sighted. <laughs> um. 
perfect. I I had a I had a young lady at University of Baltimore ask me, you know, how can I how how can I help? Um, and I said, what are you going to school for? And she said, well, I'm going to school for business administration. I said, well, you know, if you want to help the movement, we talk about the movement in like lofty terms. You know how to do cash flow. You know all of these different mechanisms of business. Find one child in a high school that may be an underserved high school and teach that child cash flow for six months. Just them. You and them. Just teach them a skill like that. That's the movement. So I think when we say move, when we use that language, we think about protest signs. We think people um, going face to face with the police and all of that. But there are so many opportunities to do these small acts of kindnesses in a consistent manner within the communities we want to serve that we overlook them, you know, as if they're not like literally there. If you have a skill, you can clearly just go ahead and give that help a child with that skill or help somebody else with that skill. Even in the Muslim community, I wrote an article maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Um, I think a, a Southeast Asian brother asked me, you know, how can I help again? I say, you're a computer engineer. You know, a lot of, you know, folks in the community deal with computers and IT. Teach a child how to code. Like it's, it's very, like, you know, very, very simple. And I think we need to, to change literally what the front lines look like. Because the only thing when people say front lines, we're thinking of CNN, we're thinking of people, you know, thousands of people of being in the street. But what happens on Monday through Friday? And I think we need to look at the Monday through Friday work and see exactly how we can get involved. And what you'll probably realize is that a lot of these people, even scholars that are being bashed, their Monday through Thursday is rigorous with those small kindnesses. But they're not... Uh, they're not going to go Facebook live and say, hey, I'm in the middle of, you know, Chicago right now. I'm in the middle of Detroit and I'm serving this person because it's not as sexy as what happens on social media. So um, I think if, if we look in, in that fashion, then we can actually start to do some type of work. And what I told her was that that type of investment is serious dawah. Because there's a void you're filling for somebody and you have a personal connection with them. And they're going to remember it was this Muslim sister who came to help me out for no other reason than just helping me out. And I owe it. You know, I owe, I owe something to her. I owe you a part of my life improving to them. Um, and it wasn't on TV. She wasn't screaming about it or anything like that. And it happened um behind closed doors, as is, you know, mostly supposed to happen. So I, I think we get caught up into the flash of all of it. And it's something, you know, again, I have to regulate it for myself because there is a certain ego attachment to being front and center. Um, and what it does is it makes us addicted to that moment. Mm -hmm. So we'll get addicted to the protest because when we're traumatized individuals, so that sensation is like, it feels good to be there. But at the same time, it's all for nothing if we're not working Monday through Thursday. Not saying that some people aren't doing that, but if we're not working Monday through Thursday doing small incremental things to improve the lives of people that we think we're serving, um, then we're, we're in trouble. You know, we're in trouble. And, and the basis of what you're talking about, and you mentioned the word movement, and the, the first movement is the harakatu kulub. It's the movement of the hearts. Because in order to be, <laughs> in order to, to sustain in this work and do other things, one, there has to be a movement of hearts to actually have empathy. But then two, 
we need husnudan and have a good opinion about people and our brothers and sisters, right? So like some people are concerned, like we don't know what people do behind the scenes. Maybe someone's dua and their charitable giving. Like for instance, Sammy Davis Jr., to the civil rights movement, he gave a lot of money. He wasn't like on the front lines and like yelling and screaming like all, all the protests. He gave a lot of money to the movement, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., as, as an example, right? So there are different ways that people can support the movement, but a righteous person's dua and a couple of dollars and, and, and urging their students to get along can even have a higher impact than uh, uh, than people who are like actually yelling and screaming at the protests. And I'm not down playing marches. I've been involved in many marches, biz to say that we just need to sit back and really focus on, yes, there's a movement of the limbs, there's a movement of, of social political work, but the, the first haraka is the movement of the hearts, and this is what we've been taught by our scholars. Yeah, these are really beautiful points from both of you. Uh, uh, yeah, about how we value our different words. I mean, it's like the guy who's like on the, on the street corner who you pay, pay no mind, I mean, he may be a wali of Allah. I mean, who, That's right. who, who he makes one dua for all this, uh, these frameworks to be destroyed. And, 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 and it's because of that, 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 that guy, that person we, we walk by and we don't pay him on mind because he's not in the front lines or we don't, you know, we don't value him according to whatever standards we have. And, uh, you know, we don't know where all that, that baraka will come from. I wanted to sort of, um, I think both of you actually really, um, fed into what my next question was to be was was about uh suburban muslims and uh i feel that and this is a question actually that uh, i think for for a lot of uh, muslims who live uh, outside of urban environments who live in you know primarily a lot of from the immigrant community they want to be engaged in in social activism social justice they just want to be engaged in doing good they want to be involved um but you know, just like just like everybody else. I mean, you know, they 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 have families. Like they, they're working all day, and they come home. Uh, you know, by the time they get the kids to bed, it's like nine before you have time to even like take a breath after doing all the rest of stuff at home. It's like ten p.m. and then this is like you know Monday through Friday, and then 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 it just like it keeps on going on the, until the weekend. Maybe it can be sort of like a weekend warrior for a few hours. But I think there's a lot of frustration, or like uh, there, there's a lot of um, you know sort of bewilderment, like what is it that we can do from, from a lot of people from, from, those, from those communities? What is it that we can do? Uh, and, and there's actually even, I think, a fear there because, not a fear, I should say that. I think it's a sense that we're not sure what we're supposed to do, you know? And, and we're not sure like what um, a lot of disaffected peoples uh, want us to do. Uh, we'd like to help, but we're not really sure what to do. We're, we're worried about, we don't really know what, what people want of us. So your advice on that, I think, Tarek, I think you made some beautiful points about your example about the, the person who's asking about, you know, the, the, you know, what can they do? And you gave that well, beautiful um, example. I'm going to answer the question by perhaps going to uh, flipping the question upside down and then Tarek, uh, Brother Tarek, inshallah, can maybe speak more directly to the question. So you mentioned about the suburban community and what can it do, and uh, especially when we're talking about urban areas. But there's a level of um, healing that needs to take place in urban areas to help welcome and give proper advice uh, to suburban Muslims. So uh, 
Muslims who are black in particular, who live in inner cities, we've suffered trauma. And we've suffered trauma from the broader system of white supremacy in the society. And then we've also, in our faith community, have dealt with uh, the legacy of, of, of anti-black racism uh, that has existed in, in, our, in our community for a number of decades. So uh, with trauma and pain, sometimes uh, there are unhealthy expressions or uh, uh, to trauma and pain. Uh, Imam Wafdi Muhammad, uh, rahimahullah, he once said, and I was in a gathering, this years ago, he said that many black Americans are like punch drunk boxers. And, you know, and for those of you who don't know what a punch drunk boxer is, it's someone who boxed for a very long period of time and got hit upside their head. And you know, when you start every round, there's a ding, there's a ringing sound. So what happens is that for a punch drunk boxer, even if they retire, some of them, if they hear a sound similar to the bell ringing, they put up their guard or start swinging, even though they're not in the ring, even though no one's swinging at them, right? So this is an issue of where uh, sometimes there becomes to be this animosity or blanket statements that are made or projected upon all suburbanite or basically non-black Muslims that if there is some sort of engagement or if their their non-participation in this or that, the way that they feel they should be participating or if someone says something, then automatically um, there almost becomes like a type of like flogging that takes place. Uh, it's, 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 it's an unhealthy uh, response and this is based upon trauma. So there needs to be some uh, healing in uh, some transformation with inside uh, African American Muslims um, to deal through this pain and first to recognize this trauma, and it's not to, and it's not to dismiss the real classism and real racism that does exist in our community, but it is a safe for us to feel whole and to uh, react in ways that are more prophetic. We have to realize that we've suffered trauma, and that there are certain spiritual remedies or spiritual exercises that we need have to go through to uh, begin the process of, 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 of healing. And I say spiritual, of course, there's a whole social sciences and there's psychology and uh, there's a certain paradigm there, which I don't dismiss uh, Western psychology, but as I say that we do have uh, uh, also spiritual remedies that need to come front and center that we can work through. So then when immigrant Muslims or people from the suburbs or the, the children of immigrants or grandchildren see something and want to get involved, that we can deal with it the right way and give some healthy uh, uh, constructive points of how people can get uh, involved. But I personally feel that in many sections of the black American Muslim community, uh, we, uh, we don't necessarily uh, react in the best way when there are overtures or people from suburban community that reach out to us and want to have uh, 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 wala, and this is our word in our in our in our tradition. This is what real um, real allyship we have an Islamic concept of of, of wala, right? El wala. This is a theological thing, right? And or it's theological basis. And uh, I'm not so sure that. Many of us uh, are um, expressing this in the best and most productive manner. It, it, I mean, it makes me think about somebody that's drowning 
And, um, you know, a lot of, for a long time, I think African-Americans, you know, been drowning here and, you know, lifeguards know a person who's drowning can, they're, they're flailing, they, they might knock you out. So I think in even some cases you have to knock somebody out for, to save them from drowning. Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's the healing part. Like hurt people, hurt people. People always use that term, but it's the truth because a part of that entire legacy of trauma is, people walking out the door on our communities, people who've made promises, people who've made um, promises of allyship. And then when things got very tough, you know, they, they backed out or, or they were never there. My father, you know, sometimes he'll say, um, well, where were you in the 50s and the 60s when we were getting billy clubs upside our head? And where was, where was the outcry, you know, from the East? about these things in America. And um, I think at a personal level, even with the uh, the young brother in Seattle, he's been missing since November. Um, and you know, you really didn't, hadn't heard about anything. And then to find out that um, he was essentially lynched. It's tough because, you know, if you're a black person, you see yourself in that situation. You know, you see, you, you have a very real, you're talking about trauma, it immediately clicks in your head. Oh, wow. I know exactly what that looks like. So I think the trouble there is massaging that relationship, right? But it has to be based off integrity, you know, and a proper class in, in doing that and showing up, you know, when, when we really need you and showing up in small kindnesses. And again, I'm a very practical person. So as far as, you know, what can I do? To, to even help. I mean, several issues, I could throw anything on the table that, you know, people could actually come and help with. Um, a lot of African-Americans in the city don't even have access to, like, simple Wi-Fi. So, like, you could pay a Wi-Fi bill. Like, it's, like, very, very simple things that are easy for folks to to grasp onto um, that we, we overlook. So, you know, I, I think it, it's going to take time and, you know, you're, you're going to get hurt. People are going to get their feelings hurt because sometimes our truth doesn't come out in the most palatable way. You know, sometimes we tell it exactly how it is. And unfortunately, it scars people who are in a, in a certain energy of like trying to help. It's like, well, I'm trying to help you. Why are you talking to me like this? Or why are you saying, you know, this in this way? Um, and it also, I think one of the biggest things is I think a lot of uh, our immigrant community, second generation, third generation, um, when they came here, it was almost um, like they left having to decolonize, right? Or, or uh, deconstruct what white hegemony has done. So if you're going in thinking, I'm going to help someone, not understanding that you're still in the process of helping yourself and that these are the pe certain people who are affected, then it's going to be trouble and you're going to constantly slip up even more if you were introspecting about it. So I think that's one of the biggest things. We did a training before where we showed um, people in the Indian community in India where their, um, their connection with white hegemony happened. It was like 16-something, 17-something. Then we talked about Africans and when uh, did we cross paths with white hegemony, white supremacy. 
And just even in that exercise, you realize like, wow, some of these things were happening at the same time. So why isn't it when you come to America, it's like you forget all of it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, even like in Sonic Hansi Coast book, he talks about when he's like driving in a car with an Algerian cab driver and he's in Paris. So he's not thinking about the American black things that people go through. And immediately the Algerian cab driver says, you know, something about the French and, you know, those such and such French did. And he had to bring himself back like that, but they had the issues too. So I think, you know, constantly having that in mind and, you know, not going in like with a savior complex and just, you know, again, doing, doing very, very simple things that people will be extremely appreciative of because I don't have to go to the McDonald's to do my child's homework for the Wi-Fi and I can do it at home now. Of very simple things that people appreciate. Yeah, that's really um, as beautiful. Sorry, but these small kindnesses, I think, maybe would go a long way in sort of uh, like you know healing those those emotions there. I mean, like to turn it back on uh, for as you as you were talking about that the colonized mind. That's one of the big issues that the immigrant Muslims have had in this country is that uh, we you know our communities came here thinking that they had this uh, concept and practice of Islam that was somehow free of this uh, colonized white supremacy framework. And that's actually not true at all. I mean, that has informed everything in terms of how we've lived here, how we've bought into like the model minority idea or being higher up in the total pole and, and, and so forth. So as, 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 as you two beautifully, you know, discuss some of the introspection that, uh, um, that needs to take, take place, uh, you know, the, the uh, the immigrant community uh, really needs to even do an even more deeper introspection about you know who they are, what has influenced them, what continues to influence them before they can really um, engage in a like authentic way with anyone, you know, regardless of 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 what community you're dealing with. Um, as we um, as we as we move on here, um, just I wanted to speak a little bit in the little time we have uh, remaining about the mechanics of activism, re-evaluating uh, uh, the mechanisms of uh, or orga protest organizations, activist organizations. And, and what I mean by this is, I'll just give an example. For, for there's certain, um, certain activities that have happened in terms of civil disobedience. That's basically what I'm, I'm speaking of. Islamically, um, what, are, what are the, uh, the principles that should guide us in what, how we decide to act um, to be civilly to, in these acts of civil disobedience. Because, you know, uh, like, you know, recently, for example, the, uh, the, the airport, uh, sorry, the, the, the ban, right, right? So people were saying, that, well, it's because of the presence of the act of the, of the protesters at the airports um, that, 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 that changed the, that changed the, the situation. Um, what well, was it because that they were actually there protesting and speaking out or was it that, um, because, uh, uh, that they're actually disrupt, disrupting, um, uh, the transit of, of, of passengers in and out. Um, so I, I find that sometimes people, sometimes we're, we're sort of caught between what, what are the actions that are fruitful? Like, so for a sit-in, for example, like a sit-in, is it really going to be, um, a, a fruitful, um, meaningful way of affecting change. Some people will say that, well, if I do this and I, and I, I get arrested, um, maybe nothing happened, but I spoke out. I spoke to power by doing that. 
and that's important. And even if I'm powerless in that, I can at least say that I did that, and I'm setting and I'm 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 defying this this structure. Uh, while others might say, well, you just did that, you got arrested, and nothing happened. I mean, you almost were like, you know, the, you, you have to you have to rethink your your uh, your your means of how you go about your activism. So, it'd be like interesting to hear some of your thoughts about um, thoughts about that in terms of how the mechanism of how we. Um, how we proceed in these in, in these uh, efforts of activism and civil disobedience when applicable? Well, there's a, a few things I could say. One is that uh, sometimes we lionize uh, leaders within the civil rights movement, and uh, the reality is is that uh, leaders in the civil rights movement, uh, well intentioned as they were, and a lot of what they did was good and correct. Um, these weren't infallible human beings and all of their methods weren't necessarily things that are like hands off that can't be looked at. Uh, so, for instance, you mentioned the the blocking of streets and that took place um, not just with the airport issue, but in terms of a tactic that Black Lives Matter has used. Right. So uh, the prophets, sallam, said, la durar, la durar fil Islam. This is in a book. This is a hadith that's in many of our books relating to sharia. There is no harm nor reciprocating harm in the deen. So when we're looking at actions, if we're doing something that's going to harm an innocent person, means someone that's not directly involved in actually afflicting the harm, then we can't expect to achieve uh, justice or social transformation by ourselves doing things that take away someone's right that somehow uh, commits a type of zulum, even if we don't see it as that, upon someone who is innocent. And you definitely aren't going to get new allies by offending people or inconveniencing people. So this whole issue of, 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 um, uh, of, of how we think that we have to disrupt uh, everything and inconvenience people uh, in the name of bringing about social change, or we're feeling the pain, I need to feel the pain too. Uh, from my reading of of the Sunnah, I don't read this as being very prophetic. Before, before you uh, if we continue, I just want to interject that. So then what, what would you say then uh, that, because authoritarian governments, authoritarian regimes, one of the things that they will do is that they will make it, so when you do speak out or when you do uh, do some sort of, protesting, they will make it so it isn't convenient for the layperson who may not be involved in that activity. They'll make it so that you're actually harming your own community, harming other yeah. people. They'll do, do that on a purpose yeah. to subvert that effort to begin with. So where do you go when, when, that, when that is the situation on the ground? Well, we can, uh, there's a way that we can communicate and speak truth to power and organize amongst ourselves without necessarily alienating uh, other people. Um, if we, for instance, and I'll just go, go back to the, the importance of, of tone in adab and activism, um, there is no human being that has more vile mission in the Quran than Fir'aun. Fir'aun enslaved people based upon a racist agenda, like he enslaved the Bani Israel, right, uh, based upon their tribal background. Uh, he was involved in economic exploitation. Uh, he was... Uh, a misogynist. He had his own wife, Asiya, uh, had her killed. Uh, he said, 
And the Rabbu Kumu'ala, he said, I am the most high God. That he was even wor worse than the regular mushrik that would worship Allah or Al-Uzza. He said that he was the Lord Most High that was the very reason of existence uh, of the world. So he was the worst of the worst. And Allah when he first had uh, Musa السلام, or Harun السلام, to go to speak to Fir'aun, he said, speak to him You speak to him with a, uh, a, a gentle tone. You speak the truth to him. You go to power and you communicate to power, but you still have a level of, 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 uh, of manners and etiquettes in the way you do so. So my belief is that in terms of public protest, and again, I'm not against public protests or I've been involved in marches, but when we're speaking truth to power, the means of how we do it is actually more important than the ends that in a dunya we sense that we think that we're trying to get to. Because like, for instance, if we, I mentioned Imam Hussein in Karbala. If someone looked at that from a dunya we perspective, Karbala was a loss. He was martyred, decapitated. The, the grandsons and great-grandsons of the Prophet ﷺ were decapitated. Some of the other Bani Hashim, some of the children of Sahaba were decapitated or they were killed. And Sayyidah Zainab bint uh, Ali was then dragged uh, to Damascus. So some people say from a dunya we sense that Hussein lost and Yazid won. No, Hussein won. And Yazid lost, right? But if you look at, if you're just looking at from an outcome perspective, from a Dunyawi perspective of like how he did his khuruj, and you might say, oh, well, we really didn't win or he really didn't win, but he did win and Yazid lost. So um, I would say that when we are fighting for social justice to just remember that we have a certain means and a certain methodology and we accept the Qadr of Allah and we uh, do things the way that we do, knowing that we have final accountability to Allah Azza wa Jal, and that He is the one who's ultimately in control of outcomes. See, that's nothing. That's a type of shirk al-khafi. It's a type of hidden shirk that we think, oh, well, we have to fight fire with fire, and therefore we'll get the means that we want. Then basically what you're saying is that you believe that you are the ultimate decider of outcomes upon matters. And anyway, fighting, with fi fighting fire with fire always sounds stupid to me anyway. Uh, excuse my language, because if in most cases, if you put fire on top of fire, you get nothing but a bigger fire. We fight fire with water. In thinking about outcomes, I, um, I think about, you know, what Frederick Douglass said, you know, about agitating the soil and, you know, no, there's no struggle, no progress. And I think that people in different lanes should inform each other. So I, I don't I don't think the the airport, the airport protest is valid without the lawyers that were working. I don't think the lawyers that were working are valid without the airport protest because they both kind of played off of each other. Um, over the summer in, in Baltimore, there was uh, a protest where they locked down uh, interstate, uh, I'm sorry, parkway. Um, but the ambulance had to come through. It was carrying somebody. So people had to move. So I think that was the right thing to do in that fashion. Now, if they would have said, no, forget that, we're just going to lay here, whoever's in there, I don't care about them. Then, you know, so I think that you know, comes in, you know, comes into play. And I think we all have to be, we have to be conscious that everybody doesn't receive 
messages the same way. So in a car, and we're, we're blocking up a whole lane of traffic. The This person in a Honda and the next person, you know, that's in a Nissan, this person in a Honda might be like, man, I'm so inconvenienced. The person that's in a Nissan, you've seen them before, they get out the car and start protesting too. Mm-hmm. But it's not all going to be, you know, the same type of reaction. And I think, you know, I think uh, I'm thinking about the Montgomery bus boycott that had, a, you know, those actionable goals. They knew exactly what they were doing, uh, even when they were filling the jails in Birmingham. That was because they wanted to overcrowd the jails. And I think we have to be informed in that context and that history. And I'm saying that, like you said, even if they do get locked up, well, now you look at it from a monetary perspective. Well, we're feeding the municipality with money if we're going to be constantly getting locked up and having to pay lawyer fees and all that type of stuff. So I think it's something we have to think about now, um, especially in the age, you know, of uh, Trump, because there are going to be severe penalties more than what was going on in the Obama era for being out there, for being uh, in the public and publicly disrupting things. And um, I think that we have to understand that uh, there are people suffering on the other side of the picket line. You know, there are people who (laughs) they clearly don't understand why you're out here. And it's not our job. It's okay. You're supposed to inconvenience people, but some people just aren't going to get it. And I think raging against those folks, you know, the person who gets out of their car and it's like, what are y'all doing? I'm trying to get to work. You, you know, I've seen people shout them down like, man, when you get back in your car, we just tell them. It's like being, you know, having a certain idea when you're doing these types of things. I think as far as Muslims being involved, we should be a a moral voice there to be able to say, all right, we need to move. This is, you know, it's getting kind of out of hand. Um, But I think in the protest environment, it's so organic that, you know, almost anything, it, it can get out of hand. Um, which is why people should be organizing. Muslims should be helping to organize these things. Um, we could, if we chose to, say, look, all 7 million Muslims, we're going to shut down airports for the next week and the week after that. That's the actual real thing. But we would have to think about how would that, would that be, you know, something that we could calculate and say, hey, this was effective? Or would that be CNN headline, 7 million Muslims shut down airport terrorists? So it's like just because something may be look effective on the on, on face value, you might have people rooting like, oh, my God, they shut down all the airports all over the United States. But, you know, for what? And I think we need to start focused on like the for the, the for what a lot more, because that's the case. Me and anybody can just get up and shut down a lane or interrupt somebody. You know, he had like the black brunches where they would get up while people were eating like dinner in Soho or something like that. Um, we have to look at the for what and. Um, bring those things to the table as far as what are the actual outcomes of that. And I think sometimes it's hit or miss. Sometimes you can actually say, well, look, and we protested and we got this particular legislation passed based off the energy of the protest and what policy we wanted. And I think sometimes you'll walk away from a protest and you'll say, man, we were just out there. Right, right. And, and also, if I can just add on, and this is the whole lens of protests, and we normally talk about protests or organizing against power being government power. But as Brother uh, Tarek was speaking, I was thinking about our beloved sister, uh, who's the wife of Sheikh Abdul Rashid in Southside Chicago, sister uh, Amina Matthews, 
who's involved in the interrupters, but she's interrupting gang activity in right. Southside yeah. Chicago, yeah. right? Yeah. So her primary organizing or her protesting is not Rahm Emanuel, although they do speak out about Rahm Emanuel. It's about the uh, the breakdown of community and trying to talk these uh, gang members out from killing each other and actually try to bring them into the fold of Islam. So like, there's different types of organizing and, and protesting. And in many cases, to try to reform one owns community takes a greater level of moral courage than speaking about what Mr. Trump is doing or Rahm Emanuel. I mean, you know, is, is there a movement amongst young Arabs and, and, and South Asians for uh, for racial justice amongst Arabs and South right. Asians and to like rid Arabs and South Asians within the Muslim community from anti-black racism within the Muslim community. Like some like everyone has different lanes. So mm-hmm. I'm saying when we're talking about activism and, and, and protesting like uh, and I'm and I'm for us raising our voices, of course, with the proper adab and, you know, the awliyaullah. There were awliyaullah who were on the front line speaking truth to power. But just as there is islah or reform in dealing with the governmental societies, that we have to do an internal type of reformation, islah, that starts with inside of our own uh, subsections of our community, not just the broader society. Right, I, you know, we're we're going to have to we're close here. Uh, I'll give you, each of you opportunity just to say a final comment. But I think... Uh, with Tarek, what you were what you were talking about earlier about um, sort of stepping back and being like the the tortoise and realizing that you know we have to look at everything we're doing very carefully and with introspection and with that moral voice and in, in how we uh, proceed in in our efforts here. Uh, we're gonna unfortunately we could just keep on talking and I love to keep on discussing uh, you know these issues, but um, you know the, the time is up. But I'll just uh, give uh, each of you um, just a, a minute or two if you could just come to a final word of advice to um, to the to the Muslims and to, to everyone out there who's just trying to see what they can do to to uh, um, to engage and, and improve our society and, and last words of advice um, Alhamdulillah uh, Imam Omar Suleiman he uh, he had the lecture I think this week that he posted about seeking leadership and he talked about Abu anhu and how he had all the qualities, you know, of, of being a leader. And Rasulullah halted him, you know, from what he was seeking, you know, and he based it, you know, on all the the, the people that, the, the whole swath of people who've tried leadership or who are going to try leadership in the very uh, minute group that actually succeed in the Akhira from trying to, you know, to attain that leadership and um, steer people in a certain way. Um, it makes me think about three years ago, me sitting in Cape Town with the elder lady who was, you know, a friend of uh, the freedom fighter there, Stephen Biko, um, and her saying to me, uh, <laughs> the worst thing that could happen to you is status. She's like literally looking in my eye and said that, you know, she said, you're very smart, all of that. But the worst thing that could happen to you is status where people are here and you're down here. Um, so I think the draw that we have to work on and in the social justice realm, a lot of it uh, gets stuck around ego. So we have to work on understanding um, where we are in the spectrum of uh, our platforms, right, our privilege, and how these places of fighting may be 
uh, harming our ego or bolstering our ego. And I say all that to say is because I've had to say, you know what, I'm going to step back, like I said in the beginning, because I understand the weight more now than I did before of leadership. When you stand up and say, hey, I'm going to fight for this cause and I want you all to come with me, you're putting the weight of a lot on you, especially if, you know, if you if you want to be Muslim in these realms. Um, so yeah, I think it's important that, you know, for the folks who want to get out there and, and they want to um, jump into the fray, that they understand they have to do it from an Islamic standpoint and have somebody that they can relate to and then they could they can build with on a consistent basis to get nasiha and uh, cemented knowledge about how to go about it. I think if we don't do that, um, then we're going to have a longer, harder road into get into actualizing some of the victories that we want in the realm of social justice. So I, I, mean, I would just leave them with that. One of the beautiful names of Allah Azza wa Jalla is Al-Adal, which means justice. And uh, we have been taught by our scholars that one of the meanings of Al-Adal is he is the one that put everything in its proper place. So I would just say as a reminder to everyone who's listening to myself that we live in the world, but we have a... Uh, ultimate destination, which is the Akhirah. So we're not supposed to be part of this world. We live in this world working towards our Akhirah and that our work towards justice is one. We are using a Quranic framework or paradigm of what is justice and what is not justice because the world can say something is a human right or the world can say something is injustice when in fact towards a Quranic framework, it may not be a human right and what they call uh, injustice may be okay and what they may be calling justice may in fact be unjust. So this takes uh, a type of spiritual disposition and uh, learning, which then I say to everyone who's involved in activism that one, um, Dhikrullah is very important. I suggest to all activists that you get yourself a litany or a word and you spend some time, uh, have your own khalwa or your own retreat that you make, if possible, every morning after Fajr and Maghrib prayer and spend some time contemplating and making dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. Uh, this is... Uh, this is very important, and this is something that has been suggested by our scholars. The second thing is that to not just be in activist circles alone, activist circles are good, including being activist circles with people who aren't Muslims. Again, we need to work with people uh, of goodwill, no matter uh, who they are. But at the same time, in order to keep ourselves grounded, we need to take time out regularly, carve out time to be to sit in halaqat, to sit in circles of remembrance, the circles of learning, so that we may be reminded of Allah Azza wa Jal and that we may be able to be grounded so that we don't get sucked up into the sea of secular sensitivities and secular movements that on the surface may be uh, appearing to be like justice and maybe the, the ends appear to be just Maybe not, but then the means may actually take us uh, astray in which we are involved in things that are haram. And in the name of justice, we are actually accumulating uh, sins. We're, we're accumulating the noob in the name of, of, of justice. And uh, 
doing dhulm on our own souls uh, in the name of trying to get adala or justice in society, that's not the way to go. And that's something that may be a source of regret for us uh, on Yom Hisab, on the day of calculation, when Allah will add up everything fairly and equally. And he's a master mathematician that all deeds and all sins will be uh, computated and, and added up right and exact. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Dawood and, uh, and uh, Brother Tarek Toure. Uh, what a, a really a, a great discussion. Um, for all lis- listeners out there, thank you for listening. Be sure to uh, check out imamware.com for recent articles and the podcast episodes. Uh, subscribe to the podcast to leave us your review and give us feedback. Um, so, again, we hope to see you again, inshallah, uh, for the next episode. Assalamu alaikum. As-salatu as